0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. Fasten your seatbelts, you're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga, the Broganator you want to give us a call, you can reach us at 1-800-923-4307. I I can't believe we're already broganating. (laughs) It's going to be a good one, I think, today. Uh, Ethan Brogan, CFP, um, head of the Financial Planning Committee here at the uh, Empirical Wealth Management in Seattle. And uh, we call him the Broganator because he always works so hard and diligently to, to uncover hidden nuggets. That's right. You can give us a call. 1-800-923-4307, 1-800-923-4307, or send us an email at contact at Empirical, no, radio.com uh, Empirical FS, that's financial services, short for, uh, is our website, www.empiricalfs.com. If you want to find out a little bit about the company. And uh, what are we doing down here on a day-to-day basis, Ethan? Well, typically we help people with uh, financial
3: planning and investment advice. That's right. We're, we're really uh, geared to help people make uh, a lifetime of consistently smart financial decisions, is how we like to say it.
2: And as much as possible in a conflict-free zone. Exactly. Uh, not the no-spin zone, but uh, the conflict-free zone is what you like to call it. Right, yeah, we
3: think yeah. we do that. We're, we're set up that way because we're fee-only advisors. That means uh, non-commission-based advice. Um, so you can be pretty sure that you're getting uh, the straight scoop
2: when we give you advice. This idea of the fiduciary standard of care that, that uh, we try to implement where we uh, try to put our clients' interest uh, first in making recommendations. it's exactly right. One of the ways we do that is making sure that our advisors don't get paid a commission to sell any kind of product. We don't create any proprietary products. Yep. And um, We're not making markets and stocks, underwriting securities, creating... Various complicated and esoteric hedge fund type products that we can peddle to people. Right. Um, really, what we're trying to do is say, "Hey, we have a universe of investment and financial planning solutions. Which ones are most effective to get our clients where they need to go?" And, it's basically uh, right. Yeah, I like that. I like that approach. Yeah, you know, it makes me feel good. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it's the right thing. And the fee we charge is based on. A flat percentage of the assets that we manage, or an hourly basis. Um, both, I think, are the best alternatives in the industry of, of getting financial advice at this point, the best we have. And I think there is this idea of uh, value versus cost. Sure. You know, there, there's a cost in, in avoiding getting financial help or guidance to simply save that, that, uh, that cost. Um, and uh, a good financial advisor should be adding value above and beyond the price that they charge to give you that financial advice and just because you don't see it um, doesn't make it any better of a, of a value. So products and things that are hidden, you always say you can pretty much be sure if someone's recommending that you do something, uh, they're, if they're saying they're not getting compensated, I would, I would view that with some skepticism. So uh, you want to be very clear on, on how that works. If that's something that you are interested in being a part of, um, if you're a financial advisor out there and you're looking to connect with a firm that can help you shepherd your, your clients um, through the volatile markets and the ever-changing financial planning landscape uh, and do it in a way that puts their interest first and the fees are all out on the table and clear, and um, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help you help clients Mm -hmm. around this around the country Mm -hmm. and we were looking to establish a a connection and a a, a place a a physical presence around the country to help individuals Um, and typically we focus on higher net worth individuals that have accumulated but we again we also do an hourly because we do want to help as many people as possible get on the right track exactly right and uh you know there's this there's a huge industry out there that's really um, traditionally and historically been pitted against the individual investor. Their interests have been diametrically opposed to that interest of the individual out there getting that, the guidance from from these, these warehouses and brokerage firms and big uh, larger institutions out there that um, have really been focusing on, hey, where can we make uh, and we've talked about you know some of the incentives in Wall Street and, and corporate incentives in the short term being not necessarily the best way to. Hopefully, we'll see at the financial crisis. Hopefully, we'll we'll see some change in the way the corporate w- rewards and, and making things shifting things from a very short term. Hey, you know, like in the subprime scenario, right? The CEOs and the mm-hmm. the investment banking firms were being paid to package these junk loans, in which they didn't. Even understand the risks involved and peddle them off to unwary investors, uh, and and a lot of these guys it really chaps my hide. Even a lot of these guys walked away with millions and millions of dollars that they didn't have to give back. Um, That's correct, and and almost put our financial system into a into a collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the the Wall Street firms out there and and Wall Street at large has not been a good place, but it doesn't mean. You shouldn't get help, um, and you shouldn't. There aren't ways of utilizing the investment products and vehicles that are out there that are good to get you to where you need to go financially. Avoidance probably isn't a great strategy. Um, it's just saying, hey, I'm going to be selective and educate myself a little bit about the help that I am going to get and where that help is going to come from. Right, And that's where I think the individual investors should spend more time, not picking individual stocks or chasing the hot returns of the latest and greatest, uh, fund manager or market guru. Um, but it's, it's spending time saying, Hey, I, I'm going to get some help because even if I have the time and the knowledge, uh, I may not always have the emotional discipline or be willing to put the time in when required at pivotal point, pivotal, uh, pivotal points in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we've talked recently too about the value of connecting with someone, uh, for the purposes of your family or spouse who may not have the interest that you do. Um, And having that person be someone that you have the opportunity to select in advance. Right. So anyway, I didn't mean to digress, Ethan, but, you know, I'm very passionate about this. No doubt about it. And what we do and what we're trying to do for people. Mm -hmm. We want to see the investing public do a better job than they have. And uh, not be susceptible to scams and bad deals in general. So Ethan, in the news, man, we've had a uh, quite a, quite a, uh, interesting uh, time here recently with everything that was going on and's going on in the Middle East, and now we have Japan. Right. Um, yeah. We're, we are
3: recording this on Friday. I'm sorry, Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and just a couple of days ago, uh, last Friday, uh, there was a big, <laughs> enormous <laughs> earthquake in Japan. A 9.0 magnitude
2: earthquake uh, off the shore uh, of Japan, and you'd have to be living under a rock to not know about that by now. But for sure, um, as it relates to financial markets, there's been a uh, a pretty good uh, decline in Japan in the Japanese stock market, in the Nikkei, and um, in a single day, I think today was down about 10 right. percent, numbers of the last close in a single day, and. You know, over the month of date, I think I looked at the uh, just a Japanese small company fund. So month of date, I think it's down around 14%, 15%. Yeah. And our advice is, yeah, there are a lot of uncertain events going on. There will always be uncertain tragedies and crises that occur around the world. Um, don't abandon a sound investment strategy. Um, and we were talking about, I mean, this immediate and severe sell-off in Japanese stocks. Um, the market, you know, makes typically very wild reactions to things, especially when there's uncertainty. Um, and that's why we diversify on a global basis and don't overweight to any one particular country. But outside of that, we rebalance and we stay focused on the long run. And I think you'll have a far greater level of success if you if you adhere to that type of a strategy than one in which you're bouncing around or getting out of stocks because things are uncertain.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, to, to really get the, the results that you want, you really have to stick with it. That's the discipline part about it. I mean, if you're, you know, you're an athlete or a bodybuilder or something.
2: Well, thanks, Ethan.
3: No, I'm not saying that you are, but if you, oh, oh, if you were okay. and you wanted the best results, <laughs> clearly you'd have to go work out every day at the gym. you go to the gym and you'd have to be disciplined about working out every single day to get the best results over time, right? That's right. If you go one day a year... Is that going to work out for you? Are you going to see much improvement? Probably not. It's, no. the, it's the disciplined element of it and being disciplined through difficult times like these uh, that the reward lies. Right. You gotta, if you don't, you're giving up, giving up stuff. And don't think that you're going to be able to catch it back on the upside as things rebound. Because I can guarantee when things start turning around, you won't feel any, feel any better about it. And the rebound will have already begun, and you'll probably miss out. That's how it usually works.
2: Well, the studies show that the professional, so-called professional managers who do try to react to these types of market events uh, haven't had any any greater success, uh, Ethan, than a, 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 a straightforward buy-and-hold strategy. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit in our discussion today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week All right. on this risk-managed portfolio opportunities. And I mm-hmm. think this um, recent uncertainty only uh, strengthens the approach that we take with building portfolios for our investors but um, but yeah I, I the, the data is clear Ethan that you know the profe- so-called professional managers whether they're diversified or the so-called focus funds that take very narrow concentrations and supposedly right. can be nimble um, and Vanguard the company Vanguard did a study um, not too long ago looking at this idea to, of do do professional managers who employ uh, traditional stock picking or market, what we would call market timing type of approach, do they do they benefit investors during bear markets? And because uh, that's been kind of a, a false notion that, that a lot of the Wall Street types have put forward. Right. Um, and they, and that makes sense because they're they they're, uh, we've got about a minute. I'd Sorry, think. Um, but that makes sense, even because they get paid a lot more to put those strategies together, but the results are that they haven't done better, you know, that that managers who try to navigate stock markets um, during bear markets don't do any better than buying uh, simple index funds when you adjust for the area that they're investing and the risks that they take. Mm-hmm. So if they can't do it, these are people with pretty large uh, access to unlimited, virtually unlimited resources. Uh, yeah, they run the biggest funds in the company, or the right. country, right? So. And again, we're talking about a lot of the firms that are, that launch and run these stranger firms that couldn't manage their own money during the the crisis didn't realize the risks that they were taking um, but <laughs> true enough but what are the chances that we as individuals trying to navigate through this these uh, unpredictable events can do a good job Ethan we're going to take a quick break all right we'll come back and we'll start talking about uh, these risk managed portfolios and finish that up we'll be right back
5: The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism 1, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Stay at 8 a.m. Pacific for The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to
3: Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. This is your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, my good friend here, Ken Smith. Uh, before we get started with the next segment, let's get about our contact information once again here. As always, you can reach us at contact at empiradio.com or 800-923-4307 here at the local office. And, Ken, just before the break, we were just talking about, and I want to just dive back into this part of the conversation before we move uh, on to our next topic. Yeah, let's dive it. You were mentioning uh, or talking about the, some of the academic studies that show that you know, even the, the best of the best, right, can't, don't consistently beat the market, time the market, um, get in and out of the market at the right times and so forth. And you were mentioning some of the studies that, that have been done on, on that um, and how we've reached that conclusion in general. And I wanted to clarify one point, if I might.
2: Okay. It
3: kind of goes like this. Clarify it. I mean, in, in general, we talk about uh, active managers as a whole. You know, active managers are those who are trying to to beat the market through either st- superior stock selection or market timing. You know, i.e., avoiding downturns and being in only when the market goes up. And can you reference one particular study uh, that Vanguard recently had concluded?
2: Yeah, I, I just pulled it up. It's called the Active Passive Debate: Bear Market Performance. Okay. If you just Google it, Vanguard, uh, by this guy Christopher Phillips. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just looking for a date. It was 2009. Oh, yeah. So, real recent stuff. Yeah. Great.
3: Go ahead. In essence, so I mean, the, the conclusion of the study was that there's not any real, um, any persistence among any type of, uh, um, that would identify any type of skill in active managers, basically. Yeah. T- taken as a group, there aren't, there's any, not any reason to believe that you would expect higher performance from active management versus passive. And I wanted to just clarify one, one little element of this. There are certain, there are, uh, in the past, and there will be in the future, certain managers that over a particular period of time, depending on the time period that you're measuring, will in fact do what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. They they will actually beat the market during a particular period of time. Right. Uh, they may do very, very well depending on the, the different calls that they make or different moves they make within the fund. Um, and so those people actually exist. So if you're out there looking for a fund that actually did really well in the last couple of years, I'm sure that the, that one exists. Uh, but the real problem with it is that just because it exists doesn't mean you would have identified it in advance,
2: right? Right. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. There's a another paper that um, was written by, uh, put together by Eugene, Eugene Fama from the University of Chicago and Ken French from Dartmouth. Right. Um, called I think it's luck uh, versus skill, and um, in that paper they kind of talk about the fact that hey, there's there's going to be managers. There are managers who outperform. Um, but can we really identify those who are lucky and differentiate them from those who have skill, and is that skill persistent in right. the market, uh, particularly when you account for the cost uh, there? Uh, and the conclusion, to give you the punchline here, is that no, there there really isn't, um, when you account for the, adjust for the, the cost of hiring these managers, um, there's, there isn't any persistent skill above what we would expect from just pure luck, a random chance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the analogy of we're putting 10,000 professional managers in a room um, or monkeys, so it doesn't matter, whoever you want to put in there, Ethan, but you put them in a room and um, you have them throwing the monkeys throwing darts.
3: That's an angry monkey.
2: Uh, Well maybe maybe he had to reduce his his uh, active management fee but uh you you have these chimpanzees you know flipping coins let's, let's use that example and there's 10,000 in the in year 1 right and uh 5,000 of them on average will get heads and you keep doing that exercise for 10 years you'll have about 10 chimpanzees that either flipped heads 10 of them in a row um would you hand those chimpanzees your money and say, "Well, this chimp beat the market or beat the the coin flipping won the coin flipping contests year after year for ten years"? Well, no, that's that's about what we would expect from statistical right. chance. Same thing in a in a in a situation we have stock pickers or even those uh, guys like Warren Buffett out there, right? That um, you're going to expect a few of them, uh, but the problem in these academic studies tend to be that. There's very little predictive value in who will be the he- winner in the next series of, of 10 coin flips. So if we just took those chimps and we said, well, let's pick the 10 that flipped nine or 10 heads in a row. And now we're going to repeat this exercise. And we're going to put all 10,000 chimps back in it. What is the likelihood that the exact 10, right, are going to be the 10 that flip? It's very low. Right. Very low probability. Um, so... That, those, those studies are when you account for all that, and that's what academics are really good at, uh, accounting for these, these pesky details and holding Wall Street accountable to that, um, which they don't like, um, that you start to look in this and you say, hey, I'm making these adjustments based on me trying to predict the future. These professionals haven't been able to persistently do it. Right. Um, uh, should I be doing it? And I would just, real clear, try yeah. to be real clear on this, don't
3: mistake the existence of some successful managers as measured by past data, is that what we're talking about isn't prudent or isn't isn't worth a, a worthwhile strategy. Because the real real trick for you as an investor is to identify, again, those folks in advance who will do it. And Ken just, through flipping the coin example, just demonstrated that the successful ones are mostly due to luck. There isn't any persistence. Right. And that's what the point is. And you would not, simply based on luck, you know, you base your retirement plan on right, or or pick yeah. mutual funds or investments. You shouldn't do any of that type of stuff. In other words, it doesn't work. It doesn't help you. In fact, it probably hinders you over time. Right. of all costs and other factors. Other one other real quick point, not on this, but something <clears> different <throat> but related. I was, uh, in terms of measuring, you know, we talk about measuring. You mentioned after cost uh, uh, in terms of active managers. After cost tend not to outperform uh, their relative index. index. Uh, I was looking at a portfolio today for a a, a, a prospect I'm working with. i doing a portfolio evaluation. I was looking at some of the funds that they have and I, I'm positive they were these aren't the type of funds that you you go actively go go pick yourself they probably were sold to them at some point in the past. But what's confusing about it is when you look at the funds and you you're trying to dissect, hey what what exactly is going on in this particular fund? How is it done, right? What's the expense ratio? How diversified is it? That sort of thing. Um, in this particular fund uh, it turns out that the when you look it up on the, the Google website, the Google Finance, type in the symbol. Uh-huh. And you can link to the Morningstar report for that particular fund I was looking at. And this, this fund happens to be an emerging markets fund. The expense ratio, if you can believe this, was about 2.5% annually for an emerging markets Whole mutual fund. Lee macro. And it had a back-end load of 5%.
2: Oh, guess
3: guess what? That hurts. Ethan. Guess what the Morningstar rating that was. that
2: hurts. Guess what the Morningstar rating was. I think that's a that's wait a minute. I think that's a hammering, dude. <laughs> You're getting hammered. It's a boatload of costs. I oh. can tell you that. Okay, go ahead. But I want you to guess, Ken. Well, what am I guessing again? Simon, Simon, you can guess too. Simon,
3: are you guess are what you the, with the rating, us? Are you wake up? Guess what the rating was, sleeping was on this particular fund. Um, How many stars did it get? Was it a five? It star? was a five star. <laughs> star <laughs> It was a five-star fund. It has a 2.5% expense ratio. It's got a low
2: of 5% on the back end because it's a sli- C shares Oh, no And way. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how is that possible? Well, let's talk about why that's possible. And let's talk about a study that Morningstar themselves did, um, which... Would- Go ahead. Can I, r- real quick? Oh, yeah. I didn't Lem- mean to interrupt. One of the reasons that's what why, I'm saying.
3: and looking at the at the comparison, they're comparing this at this more emerging markets fund. And, and in <clears> case <throat> you don't know, emerging markets over the last 10 years have done phenomenal as, just as an asset class. Yeah. Phenomenal. Right. Um, it's comparing it to the S&P 500. Oh, so you, righty. In case you don't know, the S&P 500 has done virtually zero for the last 10 years. Well, at the same time, emerging oh, markets righty-da. as a group has done phenomenally well. So that's how you get the five-star rating, even though it's 2.5% annual expense. Wow. Very tax inefficient, very undiversified, and is also now. Wait a minute!
2: Fund. You're saying that uh, Morningstar was comparing it to S and P, and that's because they. I thought they've, they have evolved, um, and now they try to compare apples to apples as close as they can. I mean, they're varietal apples, but I thought they were they had eliminated that problem several years ago. Well, I'm gonna. I mean, I was looking it up this morning. So, so you're saying I'm going to call the, it up when right you now. log into the Morningstar database, they... Uh, no, no, I didn't do that. Oh? I just went on the Google okay. website. How, how,
3: would oh. it, how would an average investor f- figure out what the heck's going on with the fund? Well, I don't know. They don't have access to... Like, they don't buy the Morningstar uh, They, that, they that, say that we do. Unless subscribe to it, yeah. Well, most well there's... Don't. Yeah. Usually they go to some website like a MSN or a Google or a Yahoo
2: Website, <laughs> and yeah. look it up. Right, that's what I would do. Yeah, and so I wanted to see what oh, was so going. So you're on. saying, hey, and if you're pulling it down off like a Google Finance kind of a deal, with well, the data that's being presented to you, is showing you how phenomenal this fund has done uh, relative to what, and they're they've they're putting up the S and P as if that's the appropriate. It's <laughs> exactly comparison, <laughs> and you're saying no, that is comparing bananas to apples. Uh, apples and bananas, so if as you're, my kids would say. If you're in
3: this investor yeah. and this guy's there's a broker at Merrill Lynch trying to sell you this thing, you can simply call it up on your, your your with the resources you have available. Yeah, and you go, oh gosh, this thing looks pretty good. Looks based pretty, based on pretty, the Morningstar rating of five pretty stars. Pretty tantalizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went to risk measurement details. I'm just on the Google website. I'll give you
2: the fun symbol if you want it. Yeah, hold on, let me get over there myself. But so what do you, what did you find? Oh, it's B shares. Okay, so it's O I B X. D I D B X. Okay. Now let's just say we're not trying to pick on Oppenheimer. It looks like the fun. We well, no, I guess we we wouldn't want to do yeah. that. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we would. <laughs> they are traditional. Um, traditionally, have had a line of loaded funds. Yeah. That pay brokers commission when you sell those funds, and right. I, we've never liked those. Uh, but that's how the industry evolved. I mean back in the day before the uh, the invention of the no load fund. All right. So hey, I didn't yeah. speak a little bit. The deferred load oh, looks no. like it's five percent and the expense rate is two point two six. Now this is all according to what you're pulling on Google, right? Yeah. Which okay. So if Google has some misinformation, we can't hold Oppenheimer probably completely accountable to that. We'd have to dig deeper. But I doubt that you know that that's a problem. Is that what you're saying? Right. Where, uh, are you, where are you getting that in there?
3: Yeah, so go down to the very uh, so under the risk measurement details. Oh, wait, is this Google uh, Finance? Yeah, here? Google Finance. All right. Uh, right, under risk down below. Hold on, I got I to get back to the, the daily out here. You hit the hyperlink and it jumps you to the Morningstar, which is you know it's conveniently okay. located. It's all right there, which is cool. Works For your nice. pleasure. It's just stacking up the S and P versus this particular mm-hmm. fund, and I find that. Uh, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm, I'm almost angry about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I want to see a little passion. You've got to be kidding me, right? Yeah. This is not a fair comparison. This is
2: like apples, like you were saying, apples and bananas. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, you know, when you're out here just pulling stuff off of random free websites, still you need to be a little bit skeptical about how things are being lined up and what you're, the data you're pulling off there. I would certainly want to cross-check that in a variety of Do you think places. the average
3: investor is going to do that?
2: <clears throat> no, but that's why we're trying to do a show here. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're saying, hey, do, stop doing that if you're not. If you're, or, or start doing it if you're start not Start putting, it. yeah, a little more scrutiny into things. Or hire somebody that's doing it for you. But let's talk about, you had mentioned the Morningstar thing, because now you, you lit that candle. and uh, Oh, we need to take a break, Ethan. Are we already have overtime? Uh, yeah. We're, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs>
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at radio dot com. Now back to Ken and Ethan.
3: All right, we're back. Empirical we're... Investing Radio. Go ahead, Ken. I
2: well, I was just going to say we were so excited about this topic we ran over a minute, so we're going to have to cut short a minute on this segment, Ethan. I oh really? I have Your unbridled uh, passion and enthusiasm i appreciate and if we're overwhelming you with the logic here and ears out outraged as we are about some of this stuff give us a call at 1-800-923-4307 get a pencil get a pen get a pad write this number down ethan you're gonna need it all right 1-800-923-4307 or you know what shoot ethan an email directly and uh, let him know that you appreciate his enthusiasm. <laughs> and uh, what is it? E Broga B R O G A at empirical e m p i r i c a l f s FrankSam dot com. Oh, that's correct. Fire off an email. So we were talking about um, <clears throat> this fund and uh, the Oppenheimer International Fund, and as you link through the Google thing you uh, finance, it opens up a Morningstar page that shows how phenomenal this fund is and compares it to the S&P. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly right. The, the fund itself it comprises a, is comprised of
3: many asset classes, none of which, by the way, are <laughs> S&P stocks. Yeah. They're a whole bunch of other stuff. It's international, international value, uh, emerging markets, developing markets, all kinds of other stuff all not right. included in the S&P 500. So anything but... What they're being, com- what this is sh- showing the comparison. Basically correct. And it's okay. a, what's interesting to me, if a lot of times you have, been, uh, well, a couple of things interesting, but one of them is this. There's this alpha measurement on these websites, which is supposed to be indicative of the manager's skill. What is alpha, my man? It's supposed to be excess return above and beyond a particular Adjusting benchmark. for risk. Adjusting for risk. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, the higher number, obviously, the better. They're getting yeah. more risk, better better, and higher risk-adjusted returns uh, above and beyond a standard sort of benchmark, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, their they're benchmark in this particular fund uh, versus the S&P 500, I, I'm just saying, it's not the appropriate measurement. It's not the correct yardstick right. to be measuring the performance against or the alpha on this thing. Blows my mind. Yeah. So you, It just blew my mind. So you click on the, uh, the, the little link, mm-hmm. and it, 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 pa- it calls up the the... Five year, the three year and the one year returns versus the s and p five hundred and I just can't believe that we're still dealing with this. I mean there's so much misinformation out there for investors how How is it a normal how's the average person going to go through who might get recommended this fund through their broker and then
2: say, Hey, this is a great fund, but really, this isn't anything I would recommend for with for anybody well, and the reason you wouldn't recommend it is not that the returns haven't been good um it's the excess charges and what we've been talking about, which is, hey, I don't care how well it's done, the fact that it's doing a lot of stock picking and market adjustments. um, We can identify the fact that this is... Oh, and by the way, that study, Ethan, was, I I looked it up. It was uh, Ken that that Fama and French study we were talking about. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure we always have the empirical data to back up what we're saying here on this program and in our, our meetings with our clients and uh, it's luck versus skill in mutual fund performance. So if you just Google that and type in Eugene Fama or Ken French, um, it came out in end of 2009. So it's still pretty recent study. Right. But anyway, uh, anywho, Ethan, what we're saying is, hey, it, you're not taking away that the fund may have done pretty well. No,
3: I'm just saying that they're yeah. j- the, the reason why it's done well is because they've owned asset classes outside, shockingly outside the S&P 500. Right. That's the magic there. there it's not that the fund manager is fantastic. Which we're
2: doing in our portfolios, but we're segregating those sectors and the funds that we're using stay true and consistent to where they're investing. So if we have an international, right. large, small value kind of a, a situation... Um, it 's not a, a, a grab bag, as it were, where they 're doing whatever, and then we pick a benchmark and go, "Oh, look how great it did relative to the worst performing exactly uh, asset class right it's our emerging market small gets compared to some form of an emerging market' small index, attracts that part of the the market that 's right, uh, in a diversified way. And I, what I was going to refer to uh, Ethan before the uh, break there is uh, you know morningstar is the one where you know we we get a little irritated with their approach because we've dealt with so many individual investors who educated by the media and morningstar and these guys that ratings um have some kind of meaning to them <laughs> i mean I, I know how many times do you hear like well that fund i own is five star should we sell that one um or why are the funds that you own not five star funds they're only why three are star one? right they're only three star well they're <clears throat> there's a variety of things that we can talk about there, but number one, Morningstar themselves put out a study that tracked the persistence of if you were to pick funds, because the ratings are based on past performance with uh, with some adjustment for risk that they try to make. But ultimately, it's a, it's a historical measure, whether it's three, five, ten years, and or as there's a longer track record, they do a blend of those time periods shorter track record, they focus on what's available, right? Mm -hmm. But you ultimately get a rating that's based around, uh, and in large part, very heavily weighted around the performance of the past. And they have a study that they put out that said, hey, geez, there's very little persistence. Um, In fact, in most cases, if we bought the lower rated funds, we would have done equally well or better than had we always bought the, the top-performing funds.
3: Yeah, if you rotate through the, simply go out on the five-star rating, every year you rebalance your portfolio and buy only five-star funds. Right. You sell the ones that are, that are no longer five-star, and you buy ones that are five-star. You're going to do poorly, because you're, you're always going to end up buying the asset class or group of stocks that have done well recently. That's how they got the five-star rating. Right. And then subsequent performance is never as good as the past
2: in this situation, and you'll end up always buying high and selling low. And so why do well, most well, index funds... Passively managed funds wind up a lot of times getting a three-star rating, as an example. Um, It's because in the short term, because when you are looking at shorter periods of time, the statistical dispersion around the average, right, if you buy an index fund, it will get the average for its category. Right. It'll get the market average return. But in any one year, you'd expect, you would normally expect about 50% to do better and 50% to do worse, right? So your index fund should fall somewhere around the middle of the pack. Uh, yeah, in any one year. Right. Mm-hmm. It's over longer periods of time that you, um, and and it actually it falls a little bit to the right of the middle yes. um, because of the expenses that get incurred on those those more active funds. So it's slightly better than average in any one year yeah, because of the, the lower cost. That's right. Exactly. So uh, basically you, would, you you shouldn't, when you're evaluating your fund, um, the fact that you, you're, you own an index fund, for example, and it's a three-star, but yet... People often say, well, most managers fail to beat the index. It can be a little bit confusing, I think, to people. And there's a very logical reason for that, and it just has to do with statistics and how these things work out Mm -hmm. over shorter periods of time. It's over a longer period of time where you will see if Morningstar was ranking or rating uh, funds over only 10 or 15 or even 20-year periods, right, Mm -hmm. Um, and they accounted properly for the what's called survivorship bias, the fact that these Wall Street firms and mutual fund complexes are frequently launching strategies, and they'll launch 10 of them, and maybe nine of them really stink, and they can't get any more assets, they can't get assets into the fund, so they kill those nine funds and keep the one fund that randomly did better, right? That data, the nine that got killed, often fall out of the data um, so when you see a particular mutual fund complex running an advertisement about X many of our funds are five-star rated funds, they're not telling you about how many funds they launched and then later killed, <laughs> are they? <laughs> no. Now, that's a little disingenuous, my friend. To say the least. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, real quick, one last yeah, thing, on th- or right. one more thing on this, anyway. Sure.
3: This is all just, th- these studies are typically are, I don't know if they're they're often enough, before or after fees, right, or before fees. I forget which way that goes often enough. Right. Uh, but if you layer in the fees, obviously the less is better in this case. Right. But after, after you layer in taxes as well, and trading costs, which are yeah. obviously over time add up to a, to a lot, um, you get a situation where over the course of, say, a 10-year period of time, an index fund versus your, an actively managed fund of a similar asset class should do far, far better. And, yeah. And I would ask you this. What is your investment time frame? Is it for the next year? You know it's probably not right, usually for it's, it's for many years ahead and right. put yourself in the best position by the, the low to- low cost asset class types of funds right rather than the active style
2: well, it's kind of interesting because we we had cited uh, Vanguard right as a company um they their founder created the the very first retail index fund on the right. s and p five hundred uh and they often published like i said they'd published a study about this um about active managers and how they stack up against uh, index type of funds during bear markets because that they were trying to dispel this this uh you know rumor that i guess that active management does better when we go through tough times yeah, yeah. so they they looked at the empirical data on that but anyway it's kind of funny because Vanguard has several actively managed funds um and if those funds have done well cuz i think a, a little bit they play both sides of the equation there hey, we have active funds that are out there trying to pick stocks. But if they've done well, one of the things that they've done, because they run their, their institution at a very low cost, it's a nonprofit type of a deal, uh, is those funds have done better primarily because they, they have lower costs. Even you know, we got to qu- take a quick break. I want to come back on that point and then All we'll right. get, finish up our other presentation. Be right back.
5: Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel.
1: the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and
2: Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Ethan, you're on a tear today, my friend. I love it. You're I'm on, fired I'm up. on fire. You're on fire. Um, you, know, you, you mess with the bull, sometimes you're going to get the horns. You're going to get the horns, and if doing what is right for people is, uh, is wrong, you don't want to be right, that's exactly right, Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, righty then well, um, so Ethan, we you know I wanted to wrap up we were talking about Vanguard because you know sometimes they kind of come across as this um i don't know a little bit of a uh hey, we're good two shoes, yeah, 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 'cause but uh and they publish all this research as well in agreement with what we're saying that sure that hey, all the stock picking and and stuff. But their focus is, yeah, 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 that's great, but by the way, we, we do have strategies that, that are stock-picking strategies and blah, blah, blah. And for a long time, they, they kind of chafed my hide because um, their approach was, well, you really don't need anyone to help you, and we want to come back to that on this. We're not saying that you don't need help. That's, nothing could be further from the truth in that. Um, but their view was, back in the day, because um, I used to read some of bogle's books and such sure. and I, I was always irritated with his lack of understanding of what the reality investors really deal with uh, is it's great to stand and sit up on the on the hilltop and say hey fees you know you had that little cartoon you sent me <laughs> where the first thing was i don't want to pay fees and um Right. it was pretty funny, it was funny. um as a lead-in when a when a client was was met with an advisor and he's saying i don't even know if i can help you yet and all she says i don't want to be good because i don't want to pay fees and um you know it's easy for him to sit up or those guys to sit up on the mountaintop and then say everyone should just be buying index funds well it's a little more complicated than that and it's also interesting when they do run various active strategies um as well. But where they've been able to get a, a leg up, I believe, if they, and I haven't looked at any of their active stuff because we typically don't use that stuff, uh, would be in the fact that they, they are, have been able, through the, the way they've structured their business, to keep the costs lower. And, it, and if I were an active manager of stock, mutual fund picking stocks, I would, I would acknowledge that one of the quickest ways for me to rise to the top would be to keep my, my fees at the lowest, at the bottom of the of the core of the of the stack of funds. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in. Now Vanguard, uh, I believe they they whistle to a different tune because they call me almost um, you know, quarterly to talk about how they can support us as advisors and how you know they do believe that people need help and advice and they even have their own little internal if you want a guy on the phone, which we don't necessarily think that's the the greatest way to have some guy in a random call center giving you advice on your most important one of the most important things in your life. Your advisor should know um, very much about your, your situation. So right. It can be consistently giving you
3: the correct advice.
2: So, um, I do have some issues with them as, <coughs> as well as but they have done some some very good things for the no business and for the right individual doubt. investor. I'm just not not uh, one of the Kool-Aid drinkers um, to the extent that some people are about about Vanguard and their intentions and what they're doing. But that being said um let's let's move right along. Let's hard charge this thing ethan what What else do you have to say here? Um, well, I think I, I spoke my mind about this particular issue okay. I just, no load funds first of all, yeah, um but that's uh, coming back again to um, <clears throat> okay, so you can go out and buy funds that have cheap expenses or low expenses um i I meet people who. Say, hey, I've don't. i got my stuff at, say, a Vanguard type of a deal. Well, I don't really need to talk to you. I got it all handled. And almost every time, I mean, very, very frequently, there are significant gaps in their portfolio, right? And the value would be, hey, over the last 10 years that we've been doing this, we've had international plus um, in our portfolios, and we've had things like emerging markets, which have done substantially better than an S&P-type portfolio. So it wasn't that... The value, the point we're trying to make of working with somebody that is in our situation is, you know, we're not picking stocks and saying, geez, we're going to beat the S&P because we're going to pick 20 stocks because we know that's a ridiculous exercise. (laughs) It's, we're going to know we've spent enough and we continue to spend time understanding all of these concepts. We're not going to get taken advantage by the Wall Street stuff, but we're also going to make sure you're not missing out on critical areas. Um, and, again, and if we look at, like, I don't I mean to pick on Vanguard here, but for a long, long time, they've not even had all the asset classes available that we invest in right. simply because they've been very, very far behind in the research on the, a lot of this stuff. Um, so it, the value is not in – it's not that once you come to the conclusion that, hey, I'm not going to hire a guy to pick stocks for me, um, then I don't need any help or advice. That's not what we're saying. It's just that the help and advice you should be getting shouldn't be based around that exercise. Right. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I think you, you said it just right. Well,
3: I mean, I there's know. tons of other stuff that go on outside of, once you master the allocation, allocation decision, i.e., you know what acc- asset classes to include in your portfolio and why.
2: Oh, stop it, Ethan. There are more things that, too much.
3: <laughs> that a qualified advisor is going to add value on. Um, uh, If if nothing else, other than making sure you are... You you know, we started at the beginning of the show about going to the gym every day, to get the best results. If you're looking to lose weight and get in shape, you should go to the gym every day, right? Well, if you go once a year, that's not really going to be helpful. Right. But your advisor will help you become financially fit by making sure you're doing the right things every single day.
2: Many people know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Right. And I think, you know, if there's anything we can impart here... It's don't be one of those people. Understand the value, um, exactly. And don't close your mind to getting help uh, because you've been brainwashed. There's two. There's this. There's this one side of Wall Street that's you know makes a makes a living screwing people and overcharging people. Right. And then there's this other crusade that goes on in the in the media that says, well, hey, maybe you know the op- If we take a really aggressive office opposite approach of never pay a fee for anything and only buy funds or investments based on the lowest fee that you can derive. Um, There's somewhere in between those that we're trying to find and stay on Mm -hmm. um, where there's a significant amount of value to be had uh, to the individual investor out there. Exactly. And and there's nothing else I can say about that, Ethan. Yeah. Well, I think we've done a good job at... uh, at, uh, Flogging that, that horse. Exactly. Okay, well, Ethan, we've got a couple of minutes. Or actually, we've got one minute left. All right. And last week we were talking about uh, the concept of building risk managed portfolios and um, saying, hey, you know, we're continuing. I, 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 with all the evolution of technology and advancements in our society, I think the 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 thing that will be very last for us to evolve to is the ability to predict the future with any pinpoint accuracy. (laughs) Would you agree upon that? That's pretty safe to say I'd guess. So the premise of our, our strategies here are to say, hey, we want to manage risks, even those risks that don't frequently appear or present themselves. Yeah, we have market history, right, where we can look back. But we have to think about, you know, each new crisis that we go through may be uniquely different in how it presents itself and what area it presents itself in. So as best we can, we want to look at designing portfolios that eliminate what I would call or what I classify as catastrophic risk. And we're out of time today, Ethan. But if you want to hear more about this, tune in next week. We'll pick up this discussion and get through it. And uh, as usual, we promise that we will be passionate and honest with you about these issues. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken
1: Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you next week. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose.